Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And I'm curious how many of us in the room, when it tends to uh, become emotionally tense in our relationships, how many of you tend to be a fighter in the room? You tend to put your dukes up. Yeah, I'm with you, friends. I like the ring. I like the ring. I try to get into it as often as I possibly can. Yeah. How many of you are flight? You're like, I'm out of here. I got to go. I got to get out of this space. Yeah, okay, we've got some, some flighters in here. And how many of you just freeze? Don't speak? Act like nobody can even see you and maybe it'll go away, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so we have all kinds, all kinds of different reactions to emotional tension. Um, and today what I want to do is I want to dive into exploring how we understand and express our God-given emotions. And specifically, I want to look at understanding the God-given emotions of others. I want to look at the God-given emotions of others. And what I want to do is I want to actually walk us through a practice that will help us understand how to hold the emotions of others. How to actually be okay with the emotions that other people are experiencing. And I want to walk us through a passage in scripture where Jesus beautifully models how to do it. And so thankfully, most of us, we actually have a fresh experience in our minds of somebody else's emotions, experiencing someone else's emotions. See, we just got done with Thanksgiving. And so you gathered with family and friends. And my, my hunch is, is that other people were feeling feelings at that experience. Okay. Now I'm curious, how many of you actually have the perfect family and friends and, and they all express their emotions with perfect health, okay? Perfect and total health. You have a perfect family and everybody expresses their emotions with perfect health. There's never been any kind of tension or disagreement, no fights, no frustrating moments, okay? Anyone in the house? Anyone in the house? Okay, great. So this puts us all together. None of us has a perfect family, right? <laughs> None of us has perfect relational worlds. We all have moments of stress in our relationships. And, and when we face any kind of tension, whether that tension is big, whether that tension is small, when we feel an emotion in someone else, we have the tendency to respond by either fighting, flighting, or freezing. And the problem with those things is that we do it beneath the surface, don't we? Now, my hunch is if, if you got together with any family or friends over the Thanksgiving holiday and there was some kind of tension or there was some kind of emotion or somebody was feeling something different than what you were feeling, okay? My hunch is, is that you did not say at the Thanksgiving table, that's it. We're having a fight, right? And most likely, we don't fight, flight, or freeze out loud. We tend to do it internally, don't we? And you just take Thanksgiving. Most of us, what we tend to do in those moments is we put up pictures of the like perfectly carved turkey, right? And we've got a picture with us standing with the turkey. Or we put up a picture of like a beautiful table and the flowers down the center and, you know, the place settings and the forks on the left and the spoons on the right, right? All that. Or, or perhaps we put up a picture of the final score of the Bears-Packers game because it's like a, it's like a Thanksgiving miracle, right? And that, that they won. And so these are the kinds of things that we want people to see 
about our Thanksgiving, but most of us, we don't tend to want to show any of the drama or the emotional tension that happens beneath the surface. And around the holidays, we tend to become more aware that not everyone goes through life feeling the same feelings that we do. There's something about the holidays that make us even more aware that not everyone walks through life feeling the exact same feeling that we're feeling at that given moment. And the tension that I wanna wrestle with today is what do you do, what do you do when you're maybe experiencing an emotional summer and someone that you love is experiencing an emotional winter? Or, Or what do you do when you are feeling tender and sad, and the people around you just want you to be happy and excited. Now, while Jared helped us see uh, a couple weeks ago the six primary emotions, and then last week, Nancy helped us identify that we have four seasons to our emotions, I brought along an image today that some of you may have seen before, and it's called the Wheel of emotions, okay? It's called the wheel of emotions. It's different than the wheel of fortune, okay? There's no bankrupt on this, although some of these emotions sometimes lead us that way. Um, This wheel, this wheel actually has 78 emotions on it, okay? 78 emotions. So when Jarrett, a couple of weeks ago, taught us about sachet, and he showed us that there's kind of like a six-pack to the Crayola crayons, right? This is like the mega-pack, okay? This is the 78 pack of crayons. There are a lot of emotions on this wheel. And and I've studied this wheel many times and I've checked it many times. Hungry is not on this wheel, okay? So for those of you that have often felt like hunger is an emotion, um, I'm here to tell you, unfortunately, it is not. It's nowhere on the wheel. But just looking at this, just looking at these 78 emotions, it is no wonder why it can be confusing. It's no wonder why we tend to fight or why we tend to flight or why we tend to freeze when we experience any kind of stress or tension emotionally with others. It's because there's a lot going on beneath the surface, isn't there? There is a lot going on beneath the surface with every single one of us. And God made us to be emotion-full. And at any given moment, we are all experiencing some kind of feeling on this wheel. And you think about, you think about the complexity of all 78 feelings. And and then you think about the concoctions of those feelings and the combinations of those feelings. And most of us, when we experience someone on the feeling wheel over in a territory that perhaps we feel uncomfortable with, before we fight or before we flight or before we freeze, we actually do something to add to the mixture of their feeling. And that thing that we try to do when we feel uncomfortable with a feeling that someone is feeling is we try to fix it. We try to fix what they're feeling, don't we? And show of hands, how many of you have ever been with someone and they have been feeling sadness? They've been feeling sadness and all you wanted to do was fix their sadness. You went looking in your purse like, do I have a Kleenex? Do I have something to do? Is there something that I can do to make their sadness go away? How many of you have ever been with someone who was mad 
and you wanted to make them not be mad anymore, especially if they were mad at you. Yeah? I, I have been here. And this happens regularly in my life. This happens regularly in my relationships. Especially, I think about this as a parent, right? And those of you that are parents in the room, when your child is feeling an emotion, especially if they're feeling something on the upper half, right? They're feeling sadness, they're feeling anger, they're feeling scared. What do we want to do as parents? We want them to not feel that anymore, right? We somehow feel like if I could just get them out of sadness, if I could help them not feel sad anymore, if I could help them not be angry anymore, if I could just help them not be scared anymore. This happens in my marriage with Jared on a regular basis, and I'm so grateful to be married to a man that is so in touch with his feelings and so in touch with what's going on inside of him, and he can name those feelings, and we can share and talk about them with one another. And just this last week, actually, Jarrett was kind of hanging out in the upper quadrant um, quite a bit. Um, he was experiencing some fear around some things that he was walking through. He was experiencing some, some anger about it, and there was like a cherry on top of the pink sadness. And, and if I were to describe like what was going on in his emotional landscape, it's like when my kids go over to 7-Eleven and they take a Slurpee cup and they just put it under every one of the different options, Jarrett's interior felt a little bit like a concoction of a Slurpee with every different flavor in it. And I could feel it, and I could tell it, and I, I knew it was going on. And I'll be really honest, I kind of wanted him to get out of the orange, the red, and the pink, and I like Jared in the blue. I like Jared in the yellow. Sometimes I like him in the green, but mostly I like him. <laughs> mostly I like him when he's peaceful and when he's joyful, but that is not what he was feeling in that moment. It's not what was going on inside. And, and as we were talking and as we were, you know, as he was explaining what he was feeling and what was going on inside of him, I found myself, you know, like trying to, to ask him some questions and trying to be with his, you know, his feelings. But frankly, what I wanted was for him to just get into some other feelings. And at one point, I just, you know, I was kind of asking him like, hey, babe, you know, do you feel like you can identify with what's like contributing to what's making you feel this way? And he just looked square at me and he was like, listen, you know what? Even if you told me I was Mother Teresa right now, I would ask you why you didn't call me Gandhi. <laughs> and I was like, got it? Registered? lots of feelings here, you know, and, and so I could just tell there was a lot going on inside of him. If he had to like do a Facebook status of his feelings, he should have just put, it's complicated, right? And let's be honest, it's complicated, isn't it? It's complicated for all of us. There's always a combination of so many different things that are going on beneath the surface. And honestly, I think for many of us, when it's complicated, what we try to do for somebody else is we try to fix it. When somebody else is having a complicated feeling that maybe we don't feel comfortable with, what we wanna do is we wanna fix their feeling. We wanna get them out of the orange zone, the, the red zone or the pink zone, and we wanna put them squarely in the blue and the yellow zone, and we wanna tell them there are no other feelings on the feeling wheel. 
And oftentimes, when it's complicated, we try to fix it. And that's what many of us do with the feelings of others. And I know I regularly fall into this trap and we try to fix feelings because I think we have identified some feelings as good feelings and other feelings as bad feelings. But what if, what if our feelings are actually not looking to be fixed? What if your feelings and what if my feelings are actually not looking to be fixed? You know, none of these 78 emotions is actually looking for an answer. Not one of these emotions is looking for an answer. In fact, it can be damaging and even dangerous to give answers to emotions that just need space. And when we try to push people into feeling just like we feel, we don't allow them to develop their own feelings. Or what we can do is we can kind of send a permanent message around an emotion that can lead to many years of someone actually struggling to actually engage with a certain feeling. I have a friend and when he was a little boy, he received the message from his grandmother that boys should not cry. And so he spent the majority of his adult life really struggling to feel really struggling to engage with sorrow. And when we don't give emotions loving space in our lives, we dishonor the emotional capacity that God gave to each of us. You see, emotions are not looking to be fixed or rescued. An emotion has never shown up and asked to be fixed or rescued. Emotions don't need to be given answers, they need to be given space. Emotions don't need to be given answers. Emotions need to be given space. And when you think about the, the scientific complex realities of what is going on inside of each of us when it comes to our emotional capacities, it's so complex. You see, our emotions are actually formed through a subjective experience with kind of a splash of our unique physiological response that lead to a distinct behavioral expression. And emotions are not formed in our inmost being looking for an answer. They're formed looking for space. Emotions are looking for oxygen. They're looking to breathe. But what happens is when we detect somebody feeling something that we're uncomfortable with, and somebody's over in the, the red zone or the orange zone or the pink zone, what we try to do is we try to suffocate that feeling and get them out of that zone. And this often comes from a place inside of all of us, which, which is a good place. We want to help, right? We want to help, but oftentimes our helping starts to hurt. You think about a child that's crying, right? You think about a child that's crying. What do we try to do? We try to help the child stop to cry, right? Or you think about someone that's angry, perhaps, or, and they're feeling a, a lot of anger. What do we do? We, do, we try to like, kind of very gently say, you know, it's okay. Maybe you just need to, to settle down. And oftentimes, trying to help the emotions of another person has more to do with helping ourselves. You see, we don't feel comfortable when someone's crying. 
or we don't feel comfortable when someone's angry. And so we try to help to fix the emotion by asking them to change what they're feeling. And helping, helping wants to fix our feelings, but what if our emotions aren't looking for help? What if our emotions are just looking to be held? What if our emotions are not looking to be helped? What if our emotions are just looking to be held? Because helping wants to fix our feelings, but holding wants to be with our feelings. And we often feel more comfortable and even more powerful helping other people with their feelings. But what most of us are looking for is someone that will just hold loving space with our feelings. How many of you, when you are feeling anger or when you are feeling sadness or when you are feeling some kind of fear, you want somebody to come up and you want them to fix all of it? You just want them to get in there with the list of seven things to do and how to stop feeling this and how to start feeling that and you're just ready for them to give you all the calisthenics of what to do with your feelings. None of us wants that, do we? We want to be held. We want our emotions to have a safe place. And what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to show you a passage in scripture where Jesus so beautifully models what it looks like to hold loving space with one another. So I'm going to ask, actually ask you to grab your Bible. Uh, it's probably in the seat back in front of you or on the floor. And you can turn to Matthew 26. And we're going to start in verse 36. It's found on page 696, and I want to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on here. See, Jesus was very aware that he would soon be arrested uh, by the Roman soldiers, and the fate of his life would then be handed over, over to the religious authorities. And so what he does in this moment is he gathers his disciples, he gets his closest friends around, people that he could trust, people that he had been walking with for three years now, and he invited them to be with him. And essentially, he's going to go to God and ask God, is there any other way? Is there any other way other than the cross? Like, it, God, could there be a plan B? And so that's what's happening in this passage that we're going to look at today. And it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus invites his friends to hold emotional space with him. So we're going to start Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. It says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now Jesus, he was very direct, wasn't he? He was very clear with his instructions. What did he tell them to do? He told them, Sit here. This is what I want you to do. I just want you to sit here. You don't need to do anything. I'm going to go pray. I don't need you to fix anything. I don't need you to solve anything. I just need you to be here. Ever have a moment in your life? Ever have a moment in your life where you didn't want advice? You didn't want somebody to come in and fix it? You didn't want somebody to come in and be your hero and like save the day? Jesus, in this moment, He's not asking for them to fix anything. He's just saying, will you be here with me? He wanted to know that he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. It goes on in verse 37 and he says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful 
and troubled. I so appreciate how the scriptures describe the current state of Jesus. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. I love that it's not like a past tense thing, right? It's not like Jesus was sorrowful and then he got himself cleaned up so that he didn't have to bring his sorrow with his friends. No, he was just willing to be in his sorrow in that moment. It was a present tense pain. Jesus, the savior of the world, was experiencing intense emotions and he was allowing himself to be seen with them. He was heartbroken, he was troubled, he was full of sorrow. The passage goes on in in verse 38 and it says, and then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus, in this moment, he names his emotion, doesn't he? He says, my soul is what? My soul is overwhelmed. Jesus, he's about to face death and he chose in that moment to name what it was that he was feeling. I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. He was experiencing fear and and he had no issue with saying it. Can you just imagine? Can you just imagine for a moment if the world that we lived in would actually start naming their fear instead of acting on their fear? Can you imagine how things would shift? Can you imagine how things would be different? Can you imagine how peace would invade our lives if we started to just name our fear instead of acting on our fear? But we get so afraid of saying, I am overwhelmed. And so instead of naming it, we just act on it. And Jesus, he had no shame in this moment. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to use some sort of like socially acceptable way of describing his fear. He didn't like get his friends together and was like, guys, I just wanna let you know, like I'm kind of going through some things right now. Like it's just kind of a rough time. And you know what, I just wanna let you know I'm struggling. I kind of have like an unspoken prayer request. Could you guys just pray for me? He didn't do that. He named it. I overwhelmed and he was authentic and vulnerable going on in verse 39 it says going a little further he fell to his face and his face was to the ground and he prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken from me not as I will but as you will and then he returned to his disciples and he found them what he found them sleeping Couldn't you men just keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. One of the things that I most appreciate about this moment in the life of Jesus is his raw willingness to bring his emotions to the Father. You know, the passage says that he prayed the same prayer three times. He pleaded with God for another way. Have you ever been there in your own life? Like, God, I kind of 
discern what's ahead of me here and if there's any way to go another route, I really, I'd prefer another way. I'd prefer a plan B. I'd prefer a different path, God. And Jesus was not afraid to bring the fullness of what it was that he was feeling to God. You know, there has never been a feeling that has freaked God out. You know, you've never had a feeling that freaked God out. You may have felt a combination of all 78 of those feelings all in one moment. It didn't freak God out. Believe me, I have felt a combination of the 78 emotions many times. And it doesn't freak God out. We have a God that feels and he invites us to bring our feelings and that's what Jesus models to us in this moment. He brings the fullness of himself to the Father and he lets himself just be there with God and God welcomes us with all of our emotions. And in verse 45 it says, and then he returned to the disciples and said to them, really, are you guys still sleeping? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And these were, these were the final moments before Jesus would then go and be tried and sentenced to death. And what he did was he spent those moments in deep emotional anguish, needing his closest friends and his heavenly father to hold space for him. That's what Jesus needed in that moment. He didn't need them to help him. He didn't need their counsel. He was just looking for them to be with him. And that that's what holding loving space for another person does. That's what it means to hold a loving space for another person. When someone is all over the feeling wheel and they are feeling something so different than you're feeling and your tendency is to wanna fix it, your tendency is to wanna judge it, your tendency is to wanna put them into another zone on the feeling wheel, all God invites us to do is to hold a loving space for what it is that they are feeling to hold a loving space. And to hold a loving space means to walk alongside of another person without judgment, without making the other person feel some sort of inadequacy because they're feeling a certain emotion, without trying to fix them or impact the outcome of what it is that they're walking through. You see, when we hold space, what we do is we open our hearts. We open our hearts and, and we offer an unconditional support. We let go of the need to control what the other person is feeling and we trust God to be at work in their life. And I am convinced, I am convinced after finding myself in so many different combinations on that feeling wheel and having people hold space for me, and being a person that has held space for other people, I am convinced that this is the need of every human being on the planet. Every single one of us is desperate for people that will hold space for us. We are desperate for people that will hold loving space for us. And here's the thing, you and I, we are as imperfect as they get. I'm as imperfect as they come, friends. 
The concoctions of feelings that go on on Planet Genie, oh my Lord, they're crazy sometimes. The combination of those 78 emotions that surge through this body at times, it's unbelievable to me what goes on inside of me. And you and I, we are imperfect and we have the possibility of so many different emotions at any given moment, but every single one of us is worthy of being seen and worthy of being loved. Every single one of us, the person to your right and the person to your left is worthy of being seen and is worthy of being loved and is worthy of having space held for them. And if the Son of God if Jesus, the savior of the world, needed his friends to hold loving space for him and needed the father to hold space for him, then how much more do we need that? And holding space is something that we can all practice doing in our relationships with one another. You see, to, to hold a loving space simply starts by listening more, and speaking less. To hold a loving space with somebody's emotions, wherever they're at in those 78 feelings on the feeling wheel, the way that we begin by doing it is to listen more and to speak less. And don't you want those kinds of people in your life? I do. I do. When Jarrett was all over the feeling wheel this last week and he was feeling like, you know, he wasn't Mother Teresa or Gandhi and I was judging him, you know, and he was feeling all those emotions, all he wanted from me in that moment was for me to listen more and to speak less. That's how I could have created a safe space of holding space. And listening, listening is actually the oldest and perhaps most powerful tool when we hold space. It, it's, and it's often just the quality of our listening, not even the wisdom of the words that we could potentially offer to one another. It's the quality of our listening that actually leads people into a path of transformation and change and of growth. Do you ever have somebody that just sits with you and actually looks you in the eyes? They actually hold space and they actually listen to you? It's powerful. Words don't need to be exchanged in those moments. Listening, though, it's an art, and, and, and like any artistic expression, it needs to be developed and practiced in order for us to be good at it. And so to listen, you need to be present more. You need to just pause. Ask yourself, am, am I really present to listening to this person right now? You know, the disciples clearly were not, right? They fell asleep. They fell asleep. But, but when, when God invites us to hold a loving space with another person, we, we can invite ourselves to just say, am I willing to be present with this person right now? To listen more, you know, one of the, the number one things that we can do is free ourselves from distractions. I think one of the things that gets in the way of us being able to be present are these little devices. And, and these were created so we could be more connected, right? But what they have done, what we've allowed them to do, is keep us from connection. So when you're gonna hold a loving space with another person, you're gonna say, you know what? This is over here. I'm gonna choose to not be distracted right now. 
To listen more means that we learn to release judgment. That we don't need to fix the outcome or the experiences of whatever the person is going through. And what's amazing is when we listen more, we automatically speak less. It's the sum result of doing the first thing. When we listen more, we speak less. And what ends up happening is the need for words fade and because the sacred space has been filled with our seeing and our listening and our being with. You see, there's a real grace to holding space with one another. And it's a powerful experience to have someone extend that kind of grace, to extend that kind of presence when you are somewhere on that feeling wheel and all you need is for someone to say, I'm willing to be with you. I'm I'm willing to be with you. You know, I I also wanna add that not just anyone can hold loving space for you. Not just anyone can hold loving space for me. I do not recommend you going out today and writing on a sheet of paper and walking into the lobby. Anyone willing to hold space for me? You're not going to get the right person to hold loving space for you. These kinds of relationships get developed. They get nurtured. They they sometimes take time. They take vulnerability and risk and, and hearing one another's stories is a sacred privilege and we need to choose wisely people that can both hear and hold our stories and our vulnerabilities with true grace. And throughout my life, um, God has brought different people in different seasons to hold space for me and I'm so grateful for the different people that God has brought into my life that have truly held space for me. I have a friend here today and he did that for me for a whole year. Just held a a loving space. No judgment, no fixing, no telling me what to do. Just held a loving space. And there have been a handful of people in my life that God has actually invited me to be a space holder for. That he's invited me to step into relationship with and to hold loving space for whatever it is that they are walking through. And, and two of the people that God has brought into my life are actually from my small group that I'm in. And I've been in this group for about a little over a year. And um, two of these guys, we've kind of developed a little thing called like our, our learning buddies. And, um, and they've become these space holders for me. And every Monday morning at nine o'clock, we all jump on our phones and we dial one another up and we find a way to you know, make sure that we're all on the same phone call. We merge our calls together. And for an hour, we hold space for each other. We hold loving space for one another. We share what's going on in our lives. We don't just kind of like report the weather. We don't just report like the events of what's happening. We talk about what we're feeling what's going on beneath the events that we're experiencing. And we share our vulnerabilities, we share our learnings, we share our joys, and we share our sorrows. And and Kimbo and Rick 
um, and I got their permission to tell this story. Um, Kimbo and Rick have become these two guys in my life that hold loving space for me every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And one of the amazing things that has happened in our friendship is we've learned how to grow in holding space with one another. We've had lots of different experiences in our, in our lives. In fact, just a, a few um, weeks ago, uh, one of the guys, um, he was walking through a particularly difficult time with one of his kids. Um, and his child was caught in the throes of just making some really painful and some destructive decisions. And he was sharing with us that he needed to make some decisions. He needed to step in, he needed to intervene, and he was talking with us about what it was causing him to feel and, and what was going on in his life beneath the surface and his fear and his sorrow and, and all of what was going on inside of him. And you know, as we talked on the phone, and we were on the phone for an hour that morning, there was very few words. There was very few offering of answers. There wasn't much counsel or advice given. He didn't need for one of us to, to chime in with, you know, our story of the time that we walked through the really difficult thing with our child, and so we wanted to let him know that we had been right there with him. He just wanted us to hold space. He wasn't looking for our judgments. He wasn't looking for our opinions. He was just looking for us to be with he was just looking for us to be with, and, and he told us about um, some decisions that he had to make and some ways that he needed to intervene with his child and, and how that was going to happen the following morning. And without skipping a beat, both of us, uh, myself and the, and the other guy, we said, we're going to be there with you. We're going to hold space for you in that moment, and you're not going to be alone. And as you walk through that valley and as you walk through that painful situation, we want you to know we are with you. And we said, okay, so, so what time is this going to happen tomorrow? And he said, it's going to happen at 4 a.m. I was like, could you not have picked 10 a.m.? <laughs> and I said, done. The other guy said, done. Took my phone, set an alarm. You can see it right here. And it says, hold space for Kimbo. And that morning, um, the alarm went off at 4 a.m. before God was awake. <laughs> Just rolled over, got down on my knees right next to my bed. And I know my friend Rick did the exact same thing because we texted one another. Are you up? I'm up. We just held space for our dear friend Kim, who was walking through something that um, he didn't need somebody to fix. He just needed somebody to be with. And so we held space and we prayed. And we asked God to be with him. We asked God to hold him. And, you know, he was five miles across Chicago. I wasn't even with him physically, but I was with him. I was with him. 
and he texted us afterwards and he just said, you know, I knew you guys were with me. I knew you were holding space. I, I knew that I was not alone. And you know, the reason that it was so easy for me to, to set that alarm is because Kim and Rick have held space for me countless times. They have set countless alarms for me. Maybe not actual alarms. But there have been moments where I have needed them to hold space for me, and they have. Over the last six months, as we walked through this little thing that maybe you've heard about called For the Love, um, guys, I was all over the feeling wheel. I like broke the feeling wheel and reinvented it. I had so many emotions. I, I went from, from fear to scared to, to sad to joyful, back to fear again, and I was all over the place. And do you know what they did for me? They just held loving space. They didn't tell me what to do. They didn't fix what I was feeling. They didn't offer me counsel. They didn't say, Jeannie, you know, if you just did these seven things and started doing these things and stopped doing these things, you would all be better. They just held space. And I am convinced that this is what the world is hungry for us to bring to one another. I wonder how many of us in this room today need a loving space to be held for you. You need a loving space to be held for you. You don't need someone to fix your feelings. You don't need someone to tell you what to do with what you're going through. You just need to be reminded in this moment that you are not alone. You are not alone, and that's what Jesus wanted in the garden, isn't it? It's what he wanted in the garden. He just wanted his people to be with him. He just wanted them to sit there and to hold space. And the person that he ultimately received it from was from his heavenly father. It was from his heavenly father. And while I pray we become a community that roots itself in the truth, that we can hold a loving space for one another, I pray even more that we root ourselves in the truth that God always holds space for us. God has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He is our ever present help in trouble. In all things, he is faithful. He is not just great, he is good, and he is kind, and he will always hold a loving space. You know, the scriptures tell us that we literally cannot flee from the presence of God. There is no place that you can go to escape God. He's with you because he's for you and because he loves you, and he is willing and available to hold anything that you are feeling. And there have been seasons in my life where I have, I have been every kind of color on that feeling wheel. Moments when I didn't even know how to articulate what it was that I was feeling. Moments when I wasn't even sure if God was still holding me. And over the last couple of years, um, the Lord has given me this song. Um, and it's kind of like my, my bedrock song. It's like my go-to song. It's my jam, okay? And for me, um, when I have those moments um, and I just, you know, I'm overwhelmed with all 78 of the feelings. And I wonder, where are you, God? Like, what's going on? What's happening here? Um, this is the song 
that I play. And there have been times where I have sung this at the top of my lungs in my bathroom. There have been times when I've been making spaghetti and I've been singing this out loud. There have been times when I've literally been walking down Madison and singing this out loud. There have been times when I have sung this driving down the road. And there have been times when I have sung this and words haven't even been able to get out of my lips. And what I want to give to you today is I want to just lend you this song. Now, this is my song, and if you want to borrow it, you can borrow it. Um, But this is the song um, that reminds me that God at all times, at all times, is a father that holds space. And my sense is that there are some of you in this room today and you're feeling a whole lot of concoctions on the feeling wheel. And what you need to be reminded today is that you are not alone. You are not alone. God is with you, God is for you, and he is holding you. And so I wanna lend you this song as a reminder of truth and a reminder of hope that we have a God, we have a savior that holds space with each of us. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are not alone. We thank you that you have never left us, you have never forsaken us. That no matter what valley we are walking through, no matter what fire we are experiencing, you are always with us. And so we trust in this truth today. Amen.